Hi, my name is Adam Nagy. I'm an Algorithms and Justice Research Assistant at the Cyber Law Clinic, part of Harvard Law School and the Berkman Klein Center. And I'm joined by my colleague, May. Hi, everyone. I'm May Al-Sharif, and I'm a fifth-year PhD candidate at the Computer Science Department at UC Santa Barbara. My research interests lie in the intersection of computer science and computational social science, specifically causes of social good, and I'm currently an intern at the Berkman Klein Center. We sat down with incoming 2018 Berkman Klein Center fellow Amy Zhang to discuss her work on combating online harassment and misinformation, as well as her research for the upcoming year. So the first question is basically, Amy, please describe who you are and your research in a tweet length or less. <laughs> oh no, I have to tweet on the fly. Um, okay, I'm, I'm a fifth year PhD student in computer science at MIT. I do HCI research, human-computer interaction, and I focus on basically building tools for everyday users to have better discussions online. Okay, nice. This is the new tweet length. Like yeah. 280 that, that characters. Was, yeah, that, that was kind of like a couple tweets. It's a thread. Right off the bat, I'm going to go off script and ask if you uh -huh. could describe human-computer interaction. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, so basically it's um, an area of computer science that looks at how to uh, build systems and actually put them into practice, um, including how humans actually interact with um, technology. So it, it incorporates elements of areas of design, psychology, sociology, um, and uses a wide variety of methods um, to answer those questions. Anything from interviews to surveys to quantitative uh, data analysis to actually building prototype systems um, and doing uh, iterations of user studies with people. That kind of ties into our next question, which is how do you envision the next generation of communications tools and do you think it's important to sort of improve what we already have or to sort of create new tools entirely? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that the status quo is probably not a great place to be right now. Um, and I think this is because of a bunch of factors that have only gotten worse in the last couple of years. So one of those being information overload. So I think everyone has this experience where they are inundated with emails and chat and articles to read and tweets to read and have difficulty understanding, filtering, um, knowing whether something's true or not, uh, knowing whether or not to trust something, um, even just keeping up with all the things that they have to do. Um, so I think we need more tools to get better at managing and handling that. We, we thought like maybe we would split the conversation between misinformation and online, online harassment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you want to ask a few of your questions? Yeah, sure. So mm -hmm. when I was going through like your research, I found that a lot of the online harassment solutions you propose leverage collective support um, and leverage the existing community of people uh, to help people who experience harassment. So the question is basically, why is it important for you uh, to you like for solutions to include these communities and how do you motivate like people around you to be more involved in the process of standing up to harassers and things like that? Mm -hmm. I think there is a, a number of different strategies that can help with online harassment and they 
um, come at all sorts of different levels, for all the way from um, platforms stepping in and hiring moderators or building um, better tools to um, individuals getting help from their friends, um, et cetera, so, and, and anywhere in between. Um, the, the reason why I've been focusing on the latter is, is mostly because I don't think there's enough work out there on, on that particular aspect, um, especially in terms of tools to actually help people be able to leverage um, their communities and the people they trust. Um, so that was the reason why I focused on it. I, I don't think it's like the solution. I think actually there needs to be sort of like a solution from that includes many different mm -hmm. um, groups. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be the reason there. Um, and, and also from just from talking to people. So um, interviewing people that have experienced harassment, um, many people talked about um, not believing that platforms would be able to solve the problem by themselves. We've also interviewed people whose friends were harassed, and mm -hmm. the overwhelming response we got was like, "Oh my gosh, my friend is, you know, in, you know, this terrible situation. I really want to help them. I don't really know how to help them. Um, they seem to be taking on this big burden by themselves, and there's nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just giving people the opportunity to do that would would be great. First off, we then asked Amy about Squadbox, a tool she created to help victims of harassment and what her goals are to continue to improve this tool over the course of her fellowship. Yeah, yeah. so Squadbox is basically a tool that we built that lets people recruit their friends to help them um, moderate and deal with harassment. So uh, the tool lets the friend do things like check incoming messages from strangers to decide what to do with them, um, to managing the user's whitelist or blacklist for them, um, and you can imagine other things that they could do, such as help report um, people, um, maybe even respond to the harasser for the um, person who's getting harassed. So just thinking of different ways that um, people who are getting harassed don't have to feel like everything's just coming directly onto them. Um, yeah, so we built the tool, we released the tool like really recently. Um, we've gotten some users, but I'd really love to do kind of like a longer study with people using the tool and see sort of like longitudinal effects of, um, you know, how can we help moderators more deal, deal with um, the effect of having to look at this? Um, how can we support um, each other to like be able to encourage each other to do this kind of work? So that's my goal there. Mm -hmm. um, so more design and kind of uh, like kind of putting this into the wild and kind mm -hmm. of getting feedback from users and incorporating that. That's exactly. that's yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so as you mentioned right now, like mm -hmm. you're saying, someone might like someone's friend might want to respond to the harasser, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this kind of gets us into our next question, which is crowdsourcing counter harassment. Where do you see the balance between like someone needing to provide someone else, like the, the person who was harassed, with support? And when do you see the need to fight back? Yeah, uh, I think it really depends on the person who's being harassed. Like, okay. I think the, uh, from talking to people, they have very different ideas about what they want to happen. Some people just want to have it blocked and never see it again. Mm -hmm. Some people want to engage with people that um, are harassing them. and. Um, write back or you know go on to like write a blog post or, or talk about the harassment they received Some people don't want that at all. So I, I think it, it's really up to that person and 
then for that person to be able to communicate to their to their friends or whoever is trying to help them, like, this is the way I want to be helped, um, mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, them deciding for them, for instance. Yeah. And do you think Squarebox will have this option? Yeah, yeah. So, so right now in the tool, you can, the person who's getting harassed can specify certain things, like, um, like, please don't um, talk back to the harasser for me, or you could even obfuscate, like, who's actually doing the harassing, mm -hmm. like, like the, their email. Some other things um, that right now you can do is, I mean, there's, it's just basically just controls, like, what the moderator can see versus not see, and what they can do versus not do. In April, Amy and a group of interdisciplinary researchers known as the Credibility Coalition released a paper with the goal of creating a scientific, systematic, and scalable way to assess the reliability of information online. We wanted to hear more about this research and its potential applications. So basically this study was, um, it was, it was, I'll just tell sort of like the backstory of how it, how it came to be. Um, so basically this started out of, um, these series of conferences, um, kind of hackathons around misinformation called MisinfoCon, and um, I, I was at one of these, it was at MIT Media Lab a year ago, and there were all these different projects around um, misinformation, so things like um, building algorithms to detect misinformation was uh, a popular one. Another one was um, giving users tools to be able to um, determine whether something was uh, true or false, or letting people sort of annotate different news articles as true mm -hmm. or false and sort of like crowdsourcing this. Um, and one thing that um, we noticed, um, several members um, who were at the, the conference, was that, you know, it, it would be really great if like the tool that's having people annotate misinformation could then be useful for the tool that's, you know, learning what misinformation is, mm -hmm. right? So w wouldn't it be great if like this data could be shared and could be like interoperable. Mm -hmm. um, so out of that kind of led to this current work, which was saying, okay, maybe we can come up with um, a shared vocabulary around mm -hmm. what are the different things that actually, um, you know, that, that people actually think about when they think about what makes something credible. Um, so we went and hosted a series of workshops um, in various conferences, like I helped host one at um, MozFest in London last year, and basically we, we gave people articles and we said, okay, is this credible, is this not credible, why do you think so? Mm -hmm. what, what are the things that you're noticing? Um, so from people's suggestions, we came up with this short list of um, types of indicators, so things from um, anything from um, the tone of the article to the citations that it's referencing, which are kind of like contextual, or sorry, not contextual, content-based, so within the article, versus something contextual, such as um, what are the ads on the page like, for instance. Um, so yeah, and then so from that we decided to, to kind of work on the, the definitions of those indicators, collect some data around it, and then release that data. Um, and then the second question was, um, Oh, just if any of these <laughs> oh findings God. came as a surprise. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, there were some interesting things. Like, at first we were kind of um, hesitant about, we had one of them, which was clickbait. And mm -hmm. we thought, well, you know, everyone does clickbait now. So right. the mainstream sources, the non-mainstream sources. But actually clickbait turned out to be a pretty good indicator. Um, partially because I think we designed the question so that it wasn't a binary. It was um, sort of like, how clickbaity <laughs> is this title? And it's like... 
the more clickbaity it is, <laughs> the, the less credible it actually turned out to be. Um, and, and in the future, I think it'd be really interesting to sort of like enrich in that a bit. Um, think about the different techniques that people are, are doing with their headlines. Mm -hmm. um, another one was uh, ads. So um, it turns out that like the use of ads, the quantity of ads was not really a great indicator, but sort of the, the aggressiveness of ad placement to be. So if, if it was really sort of harming the user experience of the reader, then this was sort of a strong indicator, but not if there were just kind of like ads on the page. I was wondering if you've thought a, a bit about sort of avoiding the Snopes slash PolitiFact problem of when, when the people that you're trying to convince or perhaps uh, steer yeah. away from misinformation, when they accuse the fact checkers of being biased or part of the, the mm -hmm. misinformation, um, if you've sort of thought about that in, in the course of building these tools. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the problem with building a centralized system because when you have one thing then people can just attack the thing um, and hopefully what what we're doing is thinking about this in a more decentralized fashion where anyone any organization can contribute annotations and then other people can decide which annotations they actually want to see so like if they trust one organization versus another they can specify that they want to only look at those for instance um, since, you know, there are many fact-checking organizations out there, right. so, and, and they're all somewhat different, so. And then the last question in this vein is sort of the transparency versus gaming by bad actors type situation where, you know, the more decentralized and sort of open you are about, for example, clickbaitiness, so then you've made, you've, you know, sort of then someone who is potentially trying to spread misinformation now knows, okay, I'm going to do something that people don't find to be clickbaity. Uh, I'm wondering sort of about that potential for gaming that comes along with being transparent. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting trade-offs. I think transparency is definitely key because I think an algorithm to detect misinformation that no one can understand how it works um, is, is problematic mm -hmm. um, and, and hard to verify. Um, on the other hand, you have this issue with gaming. Um, for, for some things, I think it's actually not a problem. So um, for the example of clickbait, okay, so now people won't write clickbait headlines. I, th I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So um, if, if it means that we have less of the sort of um, sensationalist content that is kind of like, they're, they're, they're kind of like psychological hacks, right? Mm -hmm. if, if we take away that toolkit, I guess, from from people who are trying to game someone's feed. Um, I think that's overall a good thing. Um, of course, there are other indicators where, all right, it's like if I check off these boxes, then my thing will be deemed credible, even if it's not. We asked Amy what kind of responsibility she believes would then fall on the end users. Yeah, I think on the whole, it's, it's good to think about how we can encourage people to be better um, information consumers. Maybe this involves trying to get people to uh, be closer readers, to um, think about something before they share it, um, to um, get them in a mindset of true versus not true as opposed to agree versus not agree. Mm -hmm. um, so I think sort of things that design-wise that we can sort of nudge people in that direction I think would be great. Um, I think things such as 
just a score or like maybe even more opaque just like filtering of the algorithm or, yeah. or the filtering algorithm um, changing um, based off of these um, calculations um, would not have as much of a benefit as something that provides more context Educate. to the user. Yes. Yeah. yes. So, because I also work on hate speech and very kind of depressing issues, I was just wondering what is <laughs> <laughs> the most surprising thing you've encountered while you're working on like the harassment and misinformation field. And uh, the other one was that this research, as I said, is often depressing. What are some victories you've witnessed uh, that you'd like to share? Um, yeah, I think one thing that I've been pleasantly surprised about is just the positive feedback of even getting back on Spotbox. So that, that feels really good. It's like, okay, we're doing something. Um, I think partially because harassment is finally getting some visibility in um, the, the world, mainstream news, I guess, um, that people realize it's a problem and want to do something about it, which is very encouraging. Like, that's the first step. It's like, all right, now we know it's a problem, let's, let's start thinking about what we can do. And I think for a long time we weren't yet even at that first step. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of times you'll, you'll still hear, and it's less common now, but in the past you would hear these things like, oh, just, just log off, like, it's not Don't real, it, yeah. like, it's online, that's all fake, it's not real life. Um, and I think people are finally coming around to the idea that, like, actually it really affects your life, and mm -hmm. actually it's a real problem that we should think about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's really interesting, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's hope for the, for the best. Um, my question was, who are some people or also organizations in this space that you admire or whose work has influenced your own? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, lots of groups. Um, so in the anti-harassment space, um, we were very inspired by um, the group Hollaback and their tool HeartMob course so they are also a sort of community support group for um, anti-harassment um, um, a really great nonprofit that's been thinking about um, how to help people dealing with harassment is uh, online SOS um, which got started a few years ago oh yeah I'm in, in the misinformation space there's also just a lot of things popping up um, back and forth so um, the, the group that I've been working with, um, that I did the research study with, is this group called um, the Credibility Coalition. And um, I've just been very impressed with um, the people that came together on that. It, it really just came out of like small conversations that grew and grew and grew. And I'm impressed with how thoughtful people have been um, kind of putting together and leading this effort.